For the Dharma talk this evening, I want to talk about control. Specifically, I want to talk about how can I approach this unconscious, constant desire in my life to need to control the things around me, the things that happen to me, to control my responses to them, to have this vision of my life as something that is controlled and certain and predictable. This is uh, probably one of the most common uh, and human and difficult things we encounter as we work with people and as in our own practices here within our own community, our Sangha. This, this need to control what happens and, and to base my well-being, my, my sense of peace and joy and love and compassion on my ability to control the things around me and the things that come uh, and throw punches at me. One of the first things we talk about when we, when we talk about our approach to mindfulness is understanding this ego-self aspect of ourselves, this, this little me, Mike, you know, this is who I am, I'm little, I'm Mike, I'm alone, I'm separate from everything around me. And that one of the hallmarks of the ego's existence is that it is a homeostasis-seeking organ, homeostasis-seeking organism which essentially means that I define my sense of who I am and what my life should look like as something very static, right? And the moment life kind of sort of challenges it, I do whatever I can to bring it back into, into homeostasis, into equilibrium, right? Bring that, no, that's out of order, come back here. That something else goes wrong. No, I, I set that up. It's like a, a life of spinning plates, right? They all have to be spinning like in just the right way and I run around and the moment one starts to get wobbly, I run over and I do it. And of course, this is never very successful because what life tends to do is hand us more plates. And sometimes we don't see them. Sometimes they're behind us. Sometimes they're huge and heavy. And no matter how much I try to spin that plate, I just can't get it. And if I spend too much time on it, then all of these other plates start to get wobbly and I'm in, I'm in trouble really quickly. And this is why this idea of control it shows itself so frequently uh, in our own lives as one of the things that uh, threatens our own sense of peace or well-being. So how can I think about this differently? How can I think about this, not from this static, alone, I'm separate from everything perspective, to, to the perspective of my true self, the one that recognizes that I'm, I am that guy, I am Mike, I like to do these things, and I want my life to look a certain way. But, I'm, but that's a very, very small part of who I really am. If, who I really am is this thing that is in a relationship with everything, that, that I interdepend on everything around me, the people, the things, the things that happen before me, the things that I will impact and therefore will then impact things around me, that I, I am that. I am the things that I see, the things that I learn. I am, I am the air that I breathe. I am the ground that I'm on. I am everything that has happened before me. Because had any of those things been different in any kind of way, I would fundamentally, in some, maybe very small, but in some way I'd be different. So I owe a debt of gratitude to the way that everything is as I interrelate to it. So 
from this perspective to try to control something that is inherently always moving on its own anyway is futile, right? If I'm looking for a sense of peace and happiness in being able to keep things separate that don't want to keep things static, I mean, that don't want to remain static, then I really am destined for, for pain. I often think, you know, there's this model of, of, of control and the warning of control that says, you know, you know if, because if I push against life, life will push back. Or maybe if I push against life, life will pull, right? Life is going to do something different that I don't, am, am not necessarily able to predict. Either way, I'm off balance. Either way, that homeostasis, Mike ego self, is off balance and not feeling good about it. So, how can I think about it differently? I was thinking about that model, pushing, you know, how life pushes against you or, or pulls. And I came up with one that I think I like more. And I wanted to, <laughs> I don't know if it's better, but I think that I like it more. It makes me laugh at the very least. Here's, here's what it is. Here's my metaphor for how life really is. Every night, and I'm not saying some nights, I mean every single night, at some point during the day, I lay down on our couch and my wife and I get ready to watch something on TV. It's like, it's the end of the day, it's like 9.30, 10, something like that. And we're just like, we're like ready. Oh, a new episode of Better Call Saul's out. Like, ah, you know, get ready. And the moment I sort of get the pillows just right, and I arrange everything, you know, just as it is, you know, and I lay back, this signals to our tiny little dog, Sookie, that, oh, it's time to play. So she grabs her little bone, and she runs over, and she jumps on me, and she's like, hey, throw this, throw this. And without fail, every night, I, I have this same <laughs> futile reaction, which is, oh, come on, I just want to watch TV. Do we have to do this now? I mean, any time during the day you could have brought me this bone, I would have thrown it at you. I, now I want to relax. Can't we just, uh, fine, I take it, I throw it here, uh, and I throw it. And she, I mean, predictably, jumps off me, runs, grabs the bone, brings it back. Why? Because we're playing, right? I want, uh, this is what we do every night. I bring him the bone, and every night he throws it. So she brings it back. Suki, really, seriously, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to play. I don't want I just want to watch Better, Better Call Saul. It's like two more episodes left in the entire, like, series. Can we just, uh, here, come on, go. And, and she runs, and she brings it back. And the whole time, I'm like, uh, uh. And what I have found is the only way I can get this little dog to stop bothering me, to play with her and her bone, is to play with her and her bone. It's the only way that will, get, that will stop it. And I recognize, she's, she's little, she's 11 pounds, super duper cute, she's a cool little dog. Uh, I can control, uh, you know, I might not be good at a lot of things, but one thing I can tell you I could do, I could control an 11 pound dog if I wanted to, I could just pick her up Right, I could put her outside, I could take her bone, I could throw it out, oh, we're not doing this. Right, I could yell, I could scare her, right? She's just a little dog, I could get loud and I could scare her, right? All of those things would get me what I wanted, 
right? Which is for her to leave me alone so I can watch TV. And I mean, even in just telling the story, you can see the, the emotional residue of doing that is horrible. Like, I yell at a dog, take away her toy, ruin the joy. Like, probably my, my wife would be looking at me and be like, what? You know, why are you yelling at this? Why are you yelling at her? You know, like everything, <laughs> it's like a really good way to ruin a night would be for me to yell at her or throw her bone or like have some sort of, you know, eruption <laughs> because I don't want to throw her bone. The, the only way I, I get through this peacefully is listen to what life is asking me to do and do my best to respond accordingly. And what's life asking me to do? Life's asking me to throw a little bone for a little dog and let her bring it back. And when I do this, she only asks me to do it like six or seven times. It's, she doesn't keep me there for like three hours. or it's, This is not a big deal. So every night that I protest, Suki, really, do we have to do this? I just want to watch. My, is sort of like a <laughs> exercise in, in like forgetting how this all works out night after night after night. And that if I could just <laughs> just do it, I would really save everybody a whole lot of whole lot of trouble. I'm getting better at it. But it really is a good model for how to how to approach life and the things we try to control in a way that it is much more in line with the way life flows respecting that I have things I want to do, and so does life. And if I think I can control this giant, crazy life, it's, it's like trying to control waves coming towards the shore, right? I think if I just put my arms out like this, I have pretty long arms, I could probably stop this whole wave from hitting again. Yeah, no you can't. Right? It's gonna wave. They're gonna come to the shore. I gotta figure out something else, or else this this futile exercise is going to rule my life, and I'm just gonna live in this sense of anxiety and annoyance and heartbreak and all the other things that come along with it. So, uh, Dogen, uh, Dogen Zenji, the the founder of Zoto of Soto Zen, which which has uh, our practice has deep roots in in that branch of Zen practice. <clears throat> has a wonderful quote, I think, which can help to understand, so how can I approach life? Because if, if my approach to life is completely passive, and I just, well, I just do whatever, I just, I, 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 there's nothing I can do about the things I want, I just have to do what life asks me to do, I guess. That's no way to live either, right? We all have things we want to do, our ego self things that we, we want to achieve, we want to work on, we want to, we want to make happen for ourselves and for others around us. So, so the approach to living in the flow of life can't be just totally passive. It's got to be a different way to look at it. And Dogen's quote that I think helps understand a, a possible approach is he said, uh, he defined enlightenment as, enlightenment is intimacy with all things. And I think that gives us keen insight into how I can approach life differently. I, I don't know who originally transliterated whatever the quote was in its original Japanese, but the use of the word intimacy, I think, is incredibly telling. Because intimacy is the very definition of deeply knowing someone and deeply loving someone. And he's saying enlightenment is having this deep knowing and deep love with all things. And all things means 
all things, things that my ego self, Mike, would judge as good and things that I would judge as bad. Intimacy with all things is also not a statement of doing. Intimacy with all things is a statement of being. It's a statement of, of deep love, right? It, an understanding of all things. And, it, and he's saying enlightenment it is also not what I do. It's not something that I, I go do enlightenment. Enlightenment is something that I am that I naturally am when I deeply understand what life is and I love it. No matter what it is, it's an it's a incredible respect for the idea that things happen. That's what l things do. They happen, right? And it is how I am versus what I do in them that really determines my, my state of mind in them and most likely how successful I am in being able to handle them. I think if we start to think of the things in our lives that happen that we are otherwise tempted to control as something, as opportunities for how to be, more than opportunities for what to do in them, I think that we can find a path towards peace. If I make a commitment to myself that no matter what comes, no matter what happens today, I'm going to be kind. I'm going to be grateful for the experience. I'm going to demonstrate love and compassion. When I'm going to be a cool head when other heads aren't so cool. I'm going to demonstrate uh, this incredible, incredible beauty of life by how I am, not by what I do, and allow that to, to set, the, set the stage for me. If I do that, then I can start to think of life and my interactions with the things that I encounter as a dance and not as a batter up, you know, at home plate waiting for the next thing to, to get thrown at me, you know, and swinging my, for the fences at every time. I can think about, you know, my wife and I took dance lessons before we were married some, you know, 23 years ago. and. Uh, and you learn, you know, when you learn how to, when you learn to actual, you know, ballroom dancing kind of stuff that, you know, traditionally speaking, the, the man leads the dance. But that doesn't mean that I drive the dance. It doesn't mean that I, I make the dance happen. If, if my partner is not interested in doing what it is that I am asking to have happen, it's not going to happen. Like my leading the dance only means that I kind of set a general direction of where we want to where we want to go, right? And 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 their acquiescence or agreement to like, yeah, I think that's a good idea, is is what will make the dance beautiful and wonderful, right? And if I remember that, even even in in not dancing with a partner, that the enjoyment of dance, the uh, is is in the dance, is in just doing the dance. It's not how I dance or how good I dance. I mean, I suppose there's, there's some that would disagree with me and would say, you know, I, you know, if you're a terrible dancer, you shouldn't do it. But what kind of joy in life is that? If the meaning and purpose of dancing is to dance. And if I 
That's a statement of how. That's a statement of being, not a statement of doing. If I can keep that in mind, then maybe I can enjoy my, my existence here in a way that is not reliant on what I might otherwise do or what I think should happen or making it look a certain way, but rather in how I am. I hope that was helpful in some way. <laughs>